All right. Well, last Sunday we started our series through the book of Galatians. And today we're going to be continuing in that study. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So go ahead and turn there. I mentioned uh, last week how this letter is Paul emphasizing that there is one gospel. And only one gospel. We're going to see that in the text today. So go ahead and stand if you're able and let's read through the scriptures together. Galatians chapter 1 beginning with verse 6 reading through verse 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Pray, Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gospel, the good news of you, Jesus. We ask for your help in this time. That we would agree with your word. That we would align with it. That we would embrace it. Again, Lord, you tell us through Isaiah, this is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So, Father, help us to be those things, to tremble today. Help us to be those who embrace the truth of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As we're getting into this, almost all of Paul's letters have in the beginning a warm greeting. A note from Paul where he's commenting on all of the things that he's thanking God for in relation to the hearers, whether the Colossians or the Philippians or whoever. That is not the case here with Galatians, you may notice. He starts off immediately with this bang and defense. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is shocked. He is astonished. And this is the only time that Paul uses this word about himself. And so why is he astonished? Why is he shocked? Because the Galatians are departing. They are leaving the gospel that Paul had preached to them. He says that they are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. He cannot believe how quickly they're turning from the truth. Now those words so quickly echo Exodus chapter 32 verse 8 and the story of Israel and the golden calf, which you may remember. Remember how Israel had just been delivered from slavery to Egypt. They received the law at Mount Sinai. They had entered into this covenant with Yahweh. 
And then Moses ascends the mountain to meet with the Lord. And while he is there, they fashion and worship a golden calf. Turning away from the Lord. And Exodus 32 verse 8 says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. The Galatians seem to be repeating this same mistake. By departing from the Lord shortly after being delivered by Him. Notice notice Paul's words here. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him. Deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ. Galatians, you're deserting God. You're walking away from the Lord. Whatever it is you think you're doing, you're not doing For or with God, Paul is saying. They're abandoning the gift of grace that is theirs in Christ. Deserting Him who called them by the grace of Christ. That word called there refers to God's effective work in bringing some who hear the gospel to saving faith. Romans 8, verse 30, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. God calls life into being. You were dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses. But God being rich in mercy made you alive in Christ. God did that. You were blind. God called you, turning the lights on for you to see. That's that's the message of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. The God of this world blinded your eyes so that you couldn't see. But verse 6, but God being rich in mercy has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God did that. So when Paul says that they were called, he means that God had powerfully reached them through the message of the gospel. That God had transformed their hearts from dead, blind hearers to living bearers of His grace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was true, Paul's saying, of the Galatians, and yet with these Galatians, he's astonished that now they're deserting the grace of Jesus and turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Not that there is another one, Now, this is crucial for the whole letter and for us. What's Paul saying? There is no other gospel. There is 
one gospel of Jesus. Others were troubling them and causing them to doubt the the validity of the gospel Paul had proclaimed to them. The gospel they had believed. Now, how did these troublemakers do that? How did they change or distort the gospel? We know from the remainder of the letter that they tried to persuade the Galatians, who were Gentiles, coming to faith in Jesus Christ to accept circumcision and submit to the Old Testament law to become true members of the people of God. Compelling Gentiles to adopt the Mosaic Covenant for redemption. Paul says this is not the gospel. There's only one gospel. And so let's pause here and consider this. Before we continue through this text and the rest of Galatians, what is the one gospel that Paul had preached to them? If throughout this series we're going to be saying over and over and over and over, and Paul's going to be emphasizing there's one gospel, and they're walking away from it, what is the one gospel? To be very clear, the gospel, the one gospel, is not disconnected from the Old Testament. Paul's not saying that. Paul knew and embraced the gospel as it had been revealed in the Old Testament. The message that Israel's God was coming back in person to rescue His people. Now where do we see that so clearly? Isaiah 52, verse 13 through Isaiah 55. These chapters reveal the message of reconciliation and new creation that come through the suffering servant king. What does God say there? He tells us in those chapters, and we read some of this in our scripture reading, an awesome and wise king will come as a servant. That king will be high and lifted up. He will be exalted. Many will be astonished because that servant king that is high and exalted will be marred and unrecognizable. He will be despised and rejected by man, not by God, by men. People will hide their faces at the torment that's put on him. And why would that happen to him? So great a king and servant. Why? Isaiah tells us. Because he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished for our peace. Those horrors that made others hide their faces, they were for our healing, Isaiah said. We were, all of us, the dumb sheep that went our own way. And he was the perfect lamb who received the punishment for our iniquities. It was God's will to crush him. To crush him. 
instead of you. But that's not the end of Isaiah's foretelling of the gospel. That's where we usually stop reading. Isaiah 53. But that's not the end because it tells us in his death many shall reign and he shall rise again. There will be lasting peace and security. There will be a kingdom of peace forever and ever where all the children will be taught by Yahweh. There will be no more weapons, no more hardship, only peace and joy. And all who thirst are welcome to come to Him. And all who seek the Lord will find compassion and mercy. The cross brings life everlasting. Brings a kingdom that will never end. And as Paul says at the beginning of chapter 1, deliverance from this present evil age. That's the message that Isaiah was proclaiming years and years and years and years before. It's the message that Jesus comes and fulfills in and through himself. And Paul says there is no other gospel than this. The alternate gospel that isn't the gospel at all is not simply a slightly different message about how to get saved. Paul says they're turning away from God himself. The one true God and from his radical grace that he displayed through the true gospel events. N.T. Wright comments here, the rival gospel isn't an announcement that the new age has begun. It's simply a message about how to survive in the old age. They were being told to live in the days before Christ. But Christ had come and had come to set them free. The gospel of grace in Christ is supplemented with the system of Moses. The result is not a perfected, fully mature gospel. Rather, it is a gross perversion and a totally different message. It is not the gospel at all, Paul says. They're distorting the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, he continues, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. I want you to consider the weight of these words. Consider what Paul's saying here about the gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, even if we came back to you and preached something that is different than what we preached before, and even if an angel appeared to you and preached to you a different message than what we preached to you before in the gospel, let him be accursed. This is very strong language. 
The one gospel is the one and only gospel and the only hope of deliverance from this present evil age, Paul's saying. The only hope of life with Christ everlasting. And if anyone preaches an alternate gospel, Paul says, even if it's me, even if I come back to you, the one that you heard the message from, even if I come back to you and I preach to you something different, a different gospel than you heard preached before, let me be accursed. He invokes a curse on anyone who distorts the gospel. He repeats it again in verse 9, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Brothers and sisters, listen to Paul's words here. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anathema is what he's saying. This, this word anathema, this curse is used in the Old Testament for something consecrated to God for his destruction. Deuteronomy 7.26 says, And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. It is anathema. That's what Paul's saying here about any who distort the gospel. Paul is reaffirming here that the Galatians had already heard the true gospel and had received it when he first preached it to them. And it's saying that if anyone comes and preaches something contrary to that, something that distorts the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ and his work alone, they will face judgment. Paul urges on us the centrality of Christ and the exclusivity of the one true gospel of Christ. As a church, we desire to cling to the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. All that we have, all that was accomplished through Jesus our purpose statement, our mission as a body is preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We desire to preach, to proclaim to each other and then to others the one gospel of Jesus. And we desire to practice the gospel of Jesus Christ. Practice meaning to rehearse it not just with our words, but to live in the light of the gospel, to reflect the characteristics and qualities of the kingdom that is announced in Jesus. Isaiah, as we saw earlier, announced that kingdom, and then Jesus brought it. He bore witness to it. He proclaimed it. He showed us what it looks like to live in this kingdom. And through the cross and resurrection, He gave it to us. He bestowed it upon us. I mentioned last week in the sermon concerning the message of Galatians, the goal of the gospel 
in Galatians, he's saying the goal is not getting you to heaven. It's that you are delivered from this present evil age and God is bringing his kingdom to us. A new heavens and a new earth coming here. So our mission as a church is to preach and practice the gospel of Jesus. And we have values as a church that are to keep us focused on how to flesh those out. To live the mission of preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for the remainder of our time, as we consider the exclusivity of the one true gospel, I, wanna, I want us to be reminded of those values and how they relate to the gospel. Why are they values for us? preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus. If you're not aware, our values are gospel centrality, gospel intentionality, gospel community, gospel diversity, and gospel mission. Now, how do those things reflect the one true gospel of Jesus? So I want us to think briefly through each of them. As I already mentioned, Paul is urging us in this text on the centrality of Christ. The gospel does that. Always, it tells us that Christ is all and in all and is all sufficient. And that's our desire and our value of gospel centrality, that we as a body of believers would sincerely and purposefully center our lives around our King. Consider Isaiah 53 again and the goal. What is accomplished through it? Christ suffers and dies, a humble servant crushed by God for our sins, for our iniquities. And he does that to free us from our sin and deliver us from this present evil age and usher us into this kingdom that is now and will be for always. Now, how do people respond? How do people live who do not only believe that, but receive that forgiveness and new life in his kingdom? With gospel centrality. With lives that are centered in Christ. And not only that, but that moves us to gospel intentionality. Our lives being centered on Christ strive to be intentional with the gospel that has been entrusted to us. We seek to be purposeful in living our lives in such a way that brings God honor in all that we say and do. Because the gospel is true. Yes, Galatians highlights the truth that we are rescued, saved, only and exclusively through the work of Christ. Not at all by any work or works that we could ever do. But that truth and that freedom that it brings to us makes us want to live out the commands of God that we find in the Scriptures. We want to be intentional with the Gospel of Jesus because the Gospel's true. The next value is gospel community. Striving to have Christ-centered lives and intentionality in how we live. We're committing ourselves to one another. 
We're not alone. God didn't send His Son to make us individual Christians. He sent to make a kingdom. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God who love one another in a way that says to the world, we belong to Jesus. We serve, we share, we show hospitality, we welcome, we love. Why? Because Jesus, our Lord, welcomed us, said to us, come. With all your sins and failures, with all your questions, with all your irritations, with all that you have ever been or will be, come and I will receive you and I will love you. We do that together as a body because we believe the one gospel and we love Jesus. Next, we come to the value of gospel diversity. If there is one of our values most clearly expressed in the letter to the Galatians, it is gospel diversity. Paul is saying to the Galatians, this gospel is for all. For every people group, Christ comes and welcomes not just the Jews, but every tribe. The false teachers, those who were leading the Galatians astray, were the ones who limited the gospel, kept it to only certain people. But we know that Christ died and called to himself all who thirst. And he's building a kingdom from every tribe, tongue, and people group. We see the fruit of that in Revelation Chapter 7, verse 11. And it's people who desire to display His kingdom over our kingdom. It's people who earnestly pray that His kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Our desire is that as a body we would reflect the diversity, the beauty that is revealed in the kingdom through the gospel of grace. And lastly, gospel mission. We want more and more people to hear and know the truth of this one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we strive to be people who are on mission. We pursue opportunities and we pray that he calls and awakens those who don't yet delight in his grace. Why? Because we really do believe the gospel is true. We know that there is only one gospel. People will not find their way to God any other way but through Christ. Paul urges on us here the centrality of Christ and the exclusivity of the one true gospel of Christ to embrace it and to live in the light of its truth. To not just believe it, but to embrace it and respect to others how good Jesus is. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. As we do that, consider Isaiah's words. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what Jesus means when he says, this is my body broken for you. 
This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so as you're dismissed to come and receive the bread and the cup and you go back and wait, Andy's going to lead us through taking it together. But let's remember with humble thanksgiving Christ. That we're not each individually building these little towers of Babel somehow to make it to our king. But that he came and did every single thing being crushed for our sins. So that if we would come to him believing in him, we would be forgiven and rescued forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, you're so kind to us. Your mercies never, ever end. And we are unworthy. Truly, Lord, we are unworthy. so gracious and merciful. And Father, we need you. We need your help. We need your spirit's work within us to believe and to continue to believe and to hold fast to the truth of the gospel that Jesus, you came. You did. You took on yourself the weight of our sin and the punishment of God's wrath. For our sin. You died. You were raised from the dead. Never to die again. So that all who trust in you. All who come to you believing the gospel. Will be saved. And Lord we remember that now. We rehearse that now as we, Paul says, proclaim your death through taking the bread and the cup, knowing that you are coming again, Lord. So we pray that you would bless this time, that you be glorified in us and through us in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.